Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solveto, EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloudpro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I am back home after almost two weeks on the road. I first did the European Collaboration Summit in, in Dusseldorf. And then I briefly came back home and then flew again to Slovenia for the Tribe Conference. And I think I delivered four talks, found plenty of new gyms because the hotels typically do not have a real gym. They have a fitness room. I dislike those actively. And I did have time to spend some quality time with friends and, and the community. So super happy to be back. Just this morning, I was having coffee in my home office. I figured it seems that I get my best work done when I am at home nowadays. If I'm on the road, I can sort of work, but it's more like doing email. It's not like doing any real work. And that definitely changed for me in the past couple of weeks. All right, that sounds nice. For me, summer arrived in Sweden over the last few days, and it's pretty warm relative to where I live. And I had my first dip in the sea this year over the, the past weekend. And that kind of reminded me that it's a great thing that I'm getting my hot tub or jacuzzi that just arrived. So I am going to install that very soon. But perhaps more importantly, my outdoor shower is also arriving this week. Very small stuff, you know, if, if you look at scale, but it's only like connecting that one heating pump to the shower. And then I will have hot showers outdoors for about seven months of the year. At least that's what I think right now. It's pretty small things, but a significant improvement in the quality of life, I think. I don't spend a lot of money on things. I don't usually invest in a lot of you know new stuff, but I want to make the most out of the little time we have in, in our very little house here so the family really can enjoy that time so we can create some new uh, fun memories together. So I'm really looking forward to that. So hello, Summer. I hope you stay a long time. That sounds awesome. Just in the news we had here, I think yesterday, that, that Summer is arriving in Sweden. I'm like, no, no, we want the summer in Finland as well. No, no, it will stay plus 12 <laughs> Celsius here. I think for you guys, it's like plus 25 Celsius, which is close to 90 Fahrenheit, I think. And for us, it's more like 65 Fahrenheit, super cold, no summer in sight. Community highlights, we have a couple of those. An interesting blog article from Kevin Chant on spreading your Power BI wings with Microsoft Fabric. So Microsoft Fabric was announced during build a couple of weeks ago, and this is part of a series of posts on understanding the whole platform that is Microsoft Fabric. All right. And the one I found that I thought was fitting for the conversation we're going to have today, but also in general right now, is from Denise Schlesinger. It's a chatbot, you know, how to build a chatbot to query your documentation using Langchain and Azure OpenAI. So it's a kind of interesting continuation of the AI article series that we keep seeing everywhere right now. This article talks about using a chatbot or building a chatbot, uh, which is then powered by Azure OpenAI and using Langchain with Python to query your own documentation. So you can start asking the GPT-powered chatbot questions about your own documentation. So if you have a huge document set, that might be an interesting thing to take a look at. So you can start training things on your own on your own stuff and build your own solutions around it. Because when you build it yourself, you can kind of do whatever you want. So that, that was an interesting one as well. 
good stuff. We have the links for these uh, community blogs in the show notes, so make sure to take a look. So today we will be talking about AI-based coding with GitHub Copilot chat. And I think we can now finally talk more about GitHub Copilot chat, as it seems to be more widely available now, even though it is still in technical preview. So before we get to the different co-pilots that are part of GitHub, Toby, a question for you. I know you can easily spend the whole day within Visual Studio working on stuff. Have you been using GitHub Copilot, the sort of initial version that, that we've had around for quite some time now? I took a look at it, but I never really used it. To me, that was, well, it was pretty much like the first version of AI-powered tooling and took a look at it, but it's not something that I used every day. For GitHub Copilot chat, that's something that I've used, you know, more more every day, which is pretty cool. But just a plain GitHub Copilot, not that much, not from within Vicious Studio. What about you? For me, when the initial version of GitHub Copilot uh, became available, I recall I was enthusiastic about it, but quite rapidly I figured, well, it's not really helping me that much because the main use case I could find for that was that, well, I need to have a method for generating random numbers. And it sort of gives you a random method it could find, sort of like with finding those strings of text you were requesting. And it was always a bit of a hit and a miss. It was more like a, an advanced copy-paste tool, how I felt that. Yeah. So today we have GitHub Copilot, which is available, and, and you can purchase the subscription for that. Then we have something called GitHub Copilot X, which are all of the envisioned OpenAI-based capabilities on top of GitHub. And the X means a specific capability. And I think they've already announced GitHub Copilot Chat, GitHub Copilot CLI, and GitHub Copilot Docs. And today we will be talking about GitHub Copilot Chat, which is sort of the first of the large language model-based capability that you can run. And that one is in technical preview as well. Yeah, and I, I really like this. So, I mean, the innovation is coming out of, you know, every company that works with AI in some capacity. You know, the innovation is amazing. And what I really like about this is that it goes really quick from the first incarnation of, for in this case, Copilot, until you have Copilot X, meaning Copilot for, like you mentioned, the CLI and, and for docs and for uh, the chat. And we're probably going to see a bunch more stuff in the future that is similar to that. And I really, really like it. So the focus for today being chat, is that something you've tried out? Have you? I know this works in Visual Studio 2022 and it works in Visual Studio Code. And the idea is that from within your code editor, you get a chat prompt so you can have an interaction with chat GTP powered kind of smartness, if you want to put that in layman, layman's term. But in this case, powered by Azure OpenAI and, and you know, the GitHub Copilot backend. So looking at that capability, like having an interactive conversation with a chatbot from within your projects, have you done that yet? I, I have. And I even went as far as in trying this on a virtualized Windows 11 on the Apple Silicon. So, so my main laptop nowadays is the MacBook Pro M2. So that's the Apple Apple Silicon CPU. 
and I run Visual Studio there when I need to demo something at a conference or if I need to build something quickly, mostly to help myself or somebody's perhaps asking me to produce something. It doesn't happen that often. I think they don't trust me enough anymore to, to introduce production grade code, but at least I, can, I get to do something. So GitHub Copilot chat also works on the Apple Silicon. I was quite impressed on, on that one. But I mainly use this in Visual Studio 2022. I do have VS Code installed, but I I really don't have a need for that because VS 2022 opens in in about a second on all of my machines, and VS Code opens in half second. So I don't see the huge difference that people often claim for the reason for using VS Code. But but for me, this when I think about it now, I feel GitHub Copilot Chat has almost drastically changed how I approach creating code now. Let's let's talk about the details in a bit. But for me, I feel it's more than just a chat. I, I feel it's really more the co-pilot bit here, that I have some sort of an AI-based capability that I can wake up when I need, and I can ask stupid questions. Because previously, I ran into a brick wall in my code. I would need to find somebody online, a colleague of mine, on teams that they are in green. I would ping them, hey, I got this thing I'm building on that takes five minutes to, to explain. Can you hop on a call? Can you have a look at my code? They go, hmm, yeah, I can try. Give me an hour. And you're sort of constantly stopping on what you're doing instead of sort of having AI help you out to, to get those issues resolved faster. That's on a on a big picture, that's how it works for me now. Yeah, and I, I think you hit the spot there with, you know, co-pilot being the key word here. Um, obviously, that's the brand name in this case, but we have something called peer programming since a long time in our business. And as a developer, when I was a developer and I did a lot of solution architectures and development and all these kind of things, one of the things that we did every now and then was peer programming, where we were at least two people looking at the same code, and one was the driver and one was to the coder or a navigator. And the cool thing there was that as soon as you have four pair of eyes or like two people looking at it, you can unlock so many things when you're blocked on something. That's what this does for me, right? So without having someone next to me, like you say, available at all times, this will be available at all times. And it is about that unlocking capability when you're stuck. Or in my case, I tried it out and I, I know exactly what I need to do. I just know also that it's going to take me two or three hours to write that code. I know exactly what I'm going to write, but I, I also know it takes a little bit of time to write all of that. So I could go and ask, hey, I'm going to need to to write this type of code. It's going to interact with an Azure Key Vault using managed identity that is a user uh, user-based managed identity. This is the uh, you know client ID, and this is how I wanted to connect. And I also wanted to connect to a storage account to get data using a table using this SDK. So I could just specify kind of what I wanted, and then you know in context of my IDE where I was writing my code, I got a suggestion saying, all right, well then put this code in, and then put this code in. So for all the kind of snippets and methods and things that I needed to build because I already knew what I needed to build, I could just go and ask, hey, can you create the kind of boilerplate code for me? I had to make a couple of tweaks and changes to that, obviously. But if you get you know, 85% of the way there with boilerplate or template code based on your specific requirements, and then you just do the like 15, you know, last percent, 
that's a huge win. So I saved a lot of time doing that. What's even better is I also know I need to write both unit tests and integration tests. So when that was done, I could also go back and say, hey, this is awesome. I have tweaked what you gave me. You know, here's my final kind of code. What I need to do now is I need to write unit tests, specifically testing these kind of things. Uh, you know, uh, for for something is it was important to check for you know buffer overrun overflows whatever uh, type of issues like the common type of exceptions you might get and data type conversion exceptions because sometimes you convert it from JSON to something else and back and forth to strings and whatnot. Then I wanted really good testing on the methods doing that. It just spit it out. All right, created the test for you. There you go. Take a look. I took a look. Mostly it looked pretty good. I had to go and tweak a couple of things. But again, if you get 85% there, you know, you're on a long way to uh, being a really, really productive developer. So I think that is something that will spark conversations. You know, it, it has sparked conversations already. And I think that's something that will spark more conversations. Like, is it going to replace developers? Is it going to replace testers? Is it going to replace people? Probably. But it also means that there's gonna it's gonna make room for other types of qualifications. So I think that's something we can touch on kind of when we close the episode. But I, I think that is also an important talk topic to discuss. But yeah, absolutely love this. Fully fully agree on this one. And sort of before we talk more about the experience, if you want to get started with this on your own environment, what you are going to be needing is GitHub Copilot. So you will need the paid subscription for this and then you need to apply through the waitlist to to get on the technical preview for github copilot chat and once those two elements are in place in visual studio 2022 or vs code add the extension github copilot chat and then authenticate with your github account and then you're good to go the chat experience are uh, anywhere in your code let's say you have a dotnet core command line application that you're building. That's quite often what I start with to figure something out. Uh, anywhere in your code, hit Alt apostrophe, and you get a tiny chat dialog anywhere in the code, and you can type anything. And initially, I was a bit afraid to type too long, too, too lengthy stuff. I, 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 I was afraid that the AI would get confused. But nowadays, I just type away. I'm asking, okay, I need to connect with Azure AD. I need an access token. I need to pass that to Microsoft Graph. I need to get this and that. How do I do this? And once you press enter, you get a sidebar where your chat will now reside in. You typically get explanation. You get sample code. You get a ready-made code. And you can copy-paste the stuff from there back to your source code. That's perhaps sort of the main interface that you're getting for GitHub Copilot chat. Are you are you sort of using it the same or somehow differently? Yeah, I'm using this from VS Code mainly, and it's pretty much the same, right? You hit the shortcut and you bring it up and then you type a question, you get the sidebar, and then you take it from there. There's a couple of things to to think about and, and to know. It's sometimes I, I heard a or saw a video where someone talked about it, like they did a presentation, but they didn't actually try it out. In Visual Studio Code, for example, it doesn't automatically replace everything in your code, right? You have to do that yourself. You get a suggestion in the sidebar, and then you have an option to say, all right, you know, move this in, move this code block in, copy that in. 
replace the selected lines, whatever. But you have to make that choice. So it's not you don't type a question and then it changes everything for you and, and you know you lost all the work that you've done. That's not how it works. So think about that. Just a consideration when you do this. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. Don't be afraid to kind of trigger you know curiosity with the with the chatbot. It's not gonna screw up your code unless you tell it like when you click the buttons and say, hey, replace my code or insert this here, that's when an actual action happens. So that's also good to kind of think about. But other than that, I, I use it kind of the same way, giving suggestions, also doing lookups. Like, do you think this is a sound way of connecting to Azure AD? Is this the best way to use the Microsoft Graph SDK? Is there something I'm missing? Uh, can you write tests to make sure that I'm fully covered for all the methods that I created. So my CRUD operations, my create, read, update, and delete operations are actually healthy. All these kind of things are so easy now, right? But it still requires you to understand what is happening, understand what you want to do, understand why you want to do it in order for you to build really good applications. But it's like getting started with this is is really easy. And it's kind of addictive in a way that if if you said today, well, all the kind of AI innovation that happened in the last two years will now go away instantly. I would feel that would be a struggle, not because I don't know how to write that code, but because I know how efficient I can be using this tool. And I think that's a you know, light bulb moment for me. Like I can do so much more. We can create so much more. We can produce so much more with the same kind of effort that we did in the past but we can improve the quality, we can improve the scale, we can improve so many things just by the innovations powered by AI. So I, I think it's it's a, an exciting time to be alive, for sure. I agree, definitely. For, for me, since I do not spend eight hours a day doing .NET code, but I occasionally have to do something or I get to do something. And it might be that I've forgotten about some pesky detail or I just haven't had the time to look into some recent updates. Uh, some of the use cases I use GitHub Code, Copilot Chat, is I highlight a um, bunch of code, like five lines of code. I bring up the chat and say, explain what this does. I think I know, but I'm not super clear. Or I select one variable and say, what's this? And it, it gives you this magic like explanation. Okay, so this is coming from here, it's doing this and this and this, and this is where you defined it. Oh, okay, this helps. And one of the things that I really, really hate in Visual Studio is that you, you run into a sort of a problem, and VS will tell you, there's error CS0059 here. Like, I have no idea what this means. So what I do now is I click on that and say, explain in, in Copilot chat. And it's giving me this nice explanation. I don't have to hop to a browser and Google that same information to get 20 uh, hits and then trying to figure out where to go from here. So I'm really using this to shape the code. I might start with something, I'm generating something, I'm shaping it out, and there's less manual typing. But I also feel I can easily get lost. If I get too curious, it's suddenly adding 20 lines of code for me, and I'm like, I have no idea what this does. So I need to have patience to also understand what I'm generating and not just go on autopilot, generate everything. And then I have a thousand lines of code, but I have no idea what it does. Yeah. And I, I particularly like the, the way that you 
like if you if you're coding with an SDK and you get back specific error codes, or if you say I am going to code with this specific SDK, here are the common errors that I already know I'm going to encounter because I've done this so many times. Can you please make sure to mitigate that? Like if you have transient faults, uh, faults if you have intermittent problems with the network, whatever it might be, you might get error codes saying could not connect to the server, you know, five or three stuff like that, that might not indicate a fault at the backend, might not indicate a fault with your code, might just be a blip on the line. And that happens all the time. That's called transient faults and like intermittent issues. And I think that's something that this is also really good at, where you can say, all right, I'm now using this SDK. Can you please help me mitigate transient faults? Can you please help me mitigate this? Can you please make this code more reliable? So if the network doesn't work, it's going to retry again, exponential exponentially backing off because you have these different patterns for uh, retry called retry patterns. So if the service is unavailable or you're getting throttled or something else, you just back off and then you exponentially back off a little bit more for every attempt that you try to do. So you don't kind of hammer the server if it's already under a lot of stress. Now, all of these things become a lot easier, right? And again, I'm, I'm already aware of the things that I need to be aware of but it takes me time to write them. Now I can, again, go back and say, all right, we're now going to handle transient faults. How can we do that? All right, here's a couple of examples. Cool. I can take a few of those. That's a good starting point. But I also know this is going to happen. Or I want to change from exponential backup to a static or fixed backup time because my service that I'm connecting to is okay with that. Uh, so you can make informed decisions and you can get a lot of help along the way. So I absolutely love that. So all the use cases you said, 100% agree. Uh, really, really good. So I think this is really changing our landscape as developers, as testers, you know, as people working in IT in general. We also saw recently some of the uh, enhancements to Defender for Cloud, and we have seen uh, enhancements to uh, security products that are now powered by AI as well to kind of not just mitigate threats, but stay one step ahead. The problem with that is, of course, the opposition or the hackers or the cyber threats actor actors, they're also using AI to, to uh, you know, create havoc, which is, of course, not great. But this innovation happens everywhere. I'm glad it happens within Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code. So whenever we work on documentation, if we work on uh, any type of local code, any type of connected code, whatever it is, we have the capability to really become a lot more smarter. So, so awesome. One of the uh, eye-opening moments for me with, with Copilot Chat was this morning. I was about 10 minutes away from, from joining a, a morning meeting. And I had an idea that, okay, I need this small tool at home. It's mostly for my vanity. I need a small tool that I can execute remotely when I'm not at home to send a magic packet, meaning have wake on LAN happen on one of my PCs because the, the main PC I'm using, the one I'm using today as well, that will hibernate, go to a deep sleep automatically after two hours. And occasionally I need to run workloads on this PC, but I might not be at home. So I don't want to leave the PC on. I just want to wake it up remotely. And for that, you can do a magic packet. But the magic packet is a, it's, it's a, a specifically constructed UDP packet that you send to a specific TCP or, or UDP port. 
And I figured, well, let me quickly do this. And I open Visual Studio. I have a plain command line interface in .NET Core. I open GitHub Copilot chat. Do how do I send a magic packet? And it gives me 10 lines, the exact method for doing this. I'm like, okay, this is nice. So let me decorate this. It's running. I need to host this in a Docker container because I have a separate system that runs Docker for me. So again, I go to Copilot chat. How do I add a Docker file in here? Because I don't want to do that manually. It creates that based on the code. And then I deploy and it's done. It took me six minutes to go from opening Visual Studio to having the solution running in one of my Docker hosts and, and it works. And it's a tiny tool, not at all necessary. But it was something that was in my mind and I wanted to get it over and done with. And that often happens when you do project work with customers. They're asking something small and tiny on the side of the massive project you're working on. And you really don't have the time for that. And I feel with Copilot Chat, I can also tackle these small things without needing to deep dive on those specifics. How do I send a UDP packet on, on port seven? I just want to get it done and I don't want to memorize that because I understand what it's doing, but I, I don't want to memorize and keep that in my short-term memory. I will never ever need it again, but I did need it this morning at 8.45. Then there's also the slash commands and I've used a couple of them. So one of those is slash test. So you can, you can uh, select a method, for example. You can do slash test and it generates a test case for you. Have you found any any other ones you can use? So in, in Visual Studio Code, and I think this might differ a little bit if it's Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code. For Visual Studio Code, which is the tool that I've used with Copilot uh, Chat right now, you have the slash ext, uh, ext, which is for writing extensions within Visual Studio Code. It's pretty helpful for that. So if you're in the extension uh, creation scene, uh, slash ext will help you out. Uh, there's, of course, the slash help. It seems kind of obvious, but it's a little bit smarter. It you know, explains right in the chat window what Copilot can and cannot do and so on. Uh, what I absolutely love is slash fix. You, know, you can select some piece of code and type slash fix, and then it proposes fixes for the code saying, well, I found this. Here's a better way to do that. So it's it's a way to like do code refactoring on the fly. I absolutely love it. It's fantastic. It's again coming back to the pair programming or getting that second pair of eyes that can go in and say, all right, we took a look and we identified a couple of things in your code, and here's how we might have wanted to write that differently. There's also slash vs code if again you're using Visual Studio Code. That is a very useful command to ask questions about Visual Studio Code as an application itself because there's a lot of settings and a lot of configurations and a lot of things you can do. So you can use this to you know, understand where to find something in VS Code or like how do I add a particular setting or a specific feature or an extension? And that will guide you right from the prompt in the sidebar on how to do that. So it's also a very convenient way to manage Visual Studio Code. Yeah, otherwise the slash explain that you already talked about in, in when we started this episode, I recall you said, hey, can you please explain this code to me? And and that does that as well. So you can say, all right, highlight this section and then say slash explain. It's going to tell you exactly what it is. And then, of course, you can ask Copilot as well to say, all right, cool. You explained it. That's great. Now I want to add comments to, to this code. Can you please write comments to the code? And then you can just append that or copy that in as well. Super cool. 
there's a lot of, again, a lot of very beneficial features coming here. And the fact that it understands so much about everything these days is, you know, to, to put an Azure spin on it, when you build applications for Azure, when you build things for the cloud, it's really easy for uh, Copilot and just to come in and say, all right, cool, took a look at your Azure code. Here's a couple of things you need to think about because that SDK doesn't work like that. Or if you want to use that SDK, you should really consider this. Or here's the common error codes that you're going to get, you know, uh, fix fix those things. So again, super helpful. If you do get a chance to uh, get into that preview that you can opt into, take it for a spin. It's probably going to be a positive surprise. It was for me. But again, I'm... I'm mainly using it for uh, from within Visual Studio Code to you know guide me through my own kind of thought process. Usually, I know what I want to achieve. I will talk to it, and it will kind of help me understand or help me bring a different flavor to my own opinions or my thoughts. Saying, "All right, here's what I think about it," and and that's really helpful. I really like that the tool is it's removing friction for me. The other aspect here is that it understands the context. So the other day I was working on an Azure function, nothing, nothing super complex. And what I often like to do is I like to test my Azure functions with a .http file. Typically you can open a command prompt and do curl or hurl or whatever you use. But I figured let me do a .http file so I can get that in the repo as well, just in case somebody else needs to figure out how this works. And I add a .http file in my project. It's an empty file. It's a text file. And then I go to Copilot chat and say, how do I do this? I have no idea about the syntax. And it just produces you a couple of lines. Okay, this is how it works. So it gets you this context on, well, you're working on this, you want to do that. So let's see how it goes from here. So perhaps the one question that I'm thinking, or what I'm perhaps also getting from companies is, do we need professional developers anymore? Can't anybody just code whatever? by opening the chat and asking it to do everything. And my quick take on this one is not not really no, because often the bit of code you're getting, it might not be optimally fit for whatever you're building. Like today I was doing something with Microsoft Graph and the bit of code I got from Copilot chat, I was like, no, I don't think this is going to work. I have to figure something else out because AI was not capable of helping me any further. So I feel it's a bit like when they introduced GPS as a built-in option in modern cars. I don't need to memorize the street map anymore, but I do need to understand how do I drive. And in case there's a roadblock, I need to figure out what do I do next? Any any thoughts on this for you? I have, I think, quite a bit of thoughts on this topic, uh, but maybe that actually warrants a full episode on its own. But just top of mind, I think... It's not going to replace professional developers, but it, what it might do is it might put more emphasis on the professional developers. And and I've already seen this in companies nearby myself uh, and companies worldwide where they cut down staff uh, from developer and testing divisions, right? And that's the, like, that's the reality we live in. So to take a realistic spin on that, which might not have the most optimistic outlook depending on what role you're working on. Companies have done that in favor of keeping the really experienced professional developers to then guide through you know, automation and AI uh, creation of code. Because you're, you're still going to need an experienced individual to come in and, and assess whatever the 
kind of machine or robot is doing, right? But that's something that I've seen in a couple of places. Of course, there are many variables to that. You know, the economic climate right now doesn't look great. You know, many countries have been facing recession. There's been, you know, layoffs a world across the world and in many, many of the big IT companies. So it might also be a sign of the times that this is happening. But to take that realistic spin on it, no, I don't think the experienced developers will go away, but some dev teams will be reduced. It's already been happening. And same for testing teams, right? Because you might not need to have 20 people writing unit tests or writing tests anymore if you can generate at least 50% of that. And again, it might not be 100% correct, but if you can get the boilerplate done in a split second, as opposed to three weeks, I would do that any day, right? And as a business, that is justified if you think about the financials and survival of your business and, you know, how do you justify this? How do you charge for whatever service you're selling and how do you keep people on the company and things like that? So I think it's a it's a sign of the times, but it's also a sign of what's to come, right? We're seeing changes here. But that said, anyone embracing prompt engineering Right? If you're a developer and you understand prompt engineering and you dive into that, or if you're a tester diving into prompt engineering, that's going to set you apart from other testers because all of a sudden you're the link that now communicates with AI. right? And that is something to think about as well. So again, just putting a realistic perspective or reflection on it, that's what I've been observing. I do see more people looking for experienced prompt engineers, as, as we call them, which is pretty much people who are fluent in talking with chatbots in AI, right? Because if you know how to ask the questions, you're going to yield better results. Anyone can ask, and I think we talked about this, anyone can just ask, hey, show me a picture of a cat and you're going to get a cat. cat. And then you say, oh, I want a different cat. I want a gray cat, whatever. You're going to get that. But how do you how do you position your context, your commentary, your questions and everything to that chatbot or to GPT to get the best value? That's what a prompt engineer can do really well. So I, I think what's happening is it's just a change in the industry, right? We are probably not going to hire another 30 people to only write unit tests like we did only a couple of years ago and 20 developers to do whatever development efforts. We might hire fewer developers and fewer testers, but perhaps a couple of more administrators like project ad- admin roles and prompt engineering kind of bridging roles, stuff like that. So it's not that it's going to yield less work. It's just going to be different roles. That's what I think. But again, it's happening so quick, right? Just half a year ago, this was all, you know, when you thought about it, your brain kind of exploded. And now it's a reality. Everyone is trying it out and everyone is flying. So what happens in a year from now? It is moving so quickly. But it's exciting to follow. Just make sure you understand what's happening and you see the trends and, you know, what line is moving. So if you... If you are working and you feel that, oh, wow, I'm a developer or a tester or something else, and the ground is shifting you know, beneath your feet, or, or if you have that fear, you know, get on the bandwagon, understand what it is, take a look at prompt engineering, get acquainted to working in the new way, if you will, because that will help you as well make better decisions for whatever you do in the future for your career. So that's me signing off my quick career advice. Uh, I will take that hat off right now. But yeah, I, I think those are some real, real talk reflections, right? Not just being the optimistic, everything is awesome, AI rules, you know, 
there will be changes. I am optimistic by heart. So, you know, what I say is embrace change, right? Just go with it. There's going to be an incredible amount of opportunities ahead. Just make sure that you embrace change. I really love your insights here. We, we definitely will be doing an episode on prompt engineering in the future as well. Last but not least, pricing. So GitHub Copilot is wired and the price for that is $10 per month per individual or $19 per month for businesses. And you get a bit more capabilities there. GitHub Copilot chat, no pricing announced yet. So the technical preview doesn't cost you anything, but it does require the paid GitHub Copilot for individuals at least. All righty, um, the unexpected question. Toby, I do have a question for you. Are you ready? Let's go. There's a game for PC that you can buy from Steam, and it's called the Ultimate Epic Battle Simulator 2. And this is a game that allows you to design epic fights and then simulate those fights in real time. And you can sort of follow how the fight progresses. So I watched fights with a thousand John Wicks against 20,000 ducks who are really fierce. So which two sides would you have in the battle? <laughs> this one is easy, and I know you can relate to this. I would say five SharePoint IT administrators versus 100 SharePoint developers. Go. <laughs> and you feel this is a fair comparison? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I will not share any opinions on this. We've both worked in the SharePoint ecosystem long enough to understand what this is about. Yep. Might not be a fair comparison at all, but just wanted to put that in there. Uh, anyone tuning in and you're a, an old SharePoint developer or SharePoint administrator, what's your take? Who would win this? That's, a, that's an interesting bit. I I might install the game. I think I have the, the paid version of that. So I might install and try to configure it close <laughs> enough for this. All righty. Make sure to take a look at the show notes. And if you have any feedback, you can go to controlaltazure.com and select feedback from the top navigation. We'd be happy to get any type of feedback. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. All right. See you then.